The rest of you open up your Bibles. Everyone here open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9. It's on page 646. So we continue on in our study, especially about the family is where we've been looking recently in Proverbs. We're studying through Proverbs. Here in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9, page 646. And it says, Better... To live on a corner of the roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. <sighs> Let's watch the pastor dance. Yes. <laughs> now you'll remember, in fairness, <clears throat> that two and actually three Sundays ago, we had two consecutive sermons directed at husbands about their responsibilities to their wives. Do you remember that? Everyone remember? Okay, it's on the internet. There's proof. Um, And so, and the focus in those sermons was a call for husbands to delight in their wives. A call for husbands to treasure their wives above all else. To, To turn off the TV, to turn off the computer, to come out of the garage, to get out of the boat and engage their wives and with their attitudes and their actions and their open ears communicate to their wives, I treasure you. That that was the command to husbands. And that they were to turn away from other relationships, from adultery, from pornography. Remember we talked about that? And love their wives. And so that's what we talked about two weeks ago. Well, this is the other half of that message. Because it takes two to make a marriage work. And if we might summarize the biblical teaching to husbands, and obviously this is a summarization, but if we might summarize it as husbands love and cherish your wives, the biblical injunction for wives is wives respect and honor your husbands. And the two of those taken together is the biblical plan for marriage. They're like two wings of an airplane. Marriage isn't going to fly unless you've got both of those wings. And so they have to work together. In fact, I almost wish this morning I could hand out earphones to all the men here so that you wouldn't hear this sermon, but that what you would hear would be a replay of the sermon two weeks ago. Because my guess is, if you're like me, you already forgot what I said and you've moved on. But we need to keep coming back to this. And so I just want to make this clear. If I see any man here do this, okay, I will publicly call you out. All right? I will name names, okay? So men, just sit very still. Don't look at your wife. Just sit still and listen, all right? That's, a, that's how you can show love and cherishing to your wife is not to give her one of those. But there it is. Verse 9, Better to live in the corner of, on the corner of a roof than share a house with a quarrelsome wife. Long before Shakespeare's Taming of the Shrew, Long before the TV show Roseanne, there was the contentious wife of Proverbs chapter 21. The idea of a quarrelsome wife or a contentious wife is, uh, or or just a quarrelsome person, is, is the kind of person who, through their facial expressions and tone of voice and the things they say and the way they relate, just set relationships on edge. They walk into a room and because of their demeanor and because of the way they respond, you know, everyone's... You know, on edge, the kids are upset and the husband is upset. And, and there's, sometimes we can become quarrelsome. 
And when that happens in a marriage, it's very destructive. When a wife, you know, is an expert at rolling her eyes and sending all the body language that's like, I do not respect you. I'm sick of you. Uh, You know, you you disgust me. And when she criticizes and mocks and insults him and is quarrelsome, that's just going to destroy harmony in a relationship. And look what happens. It says, the man would rather live on the corner of a roof. Remember in these Palestinian homes, they had flat roofs. They still do today. So it's kind of like a box. And then there was the roof, which actually served as part of the house. It was part of the living space. People would go up on the roof, and maybe on a hot night they would sleep up there, or they would uh, work up on the roof. And in the same way then, this husband is like, you know what, honey, I'm going up on the roof. Guys still do that today. They still go up on the roof, or into the garage, or out in the yard, or in the boat, or down the street to their buddies, or over, unfortunately, to the tavern, or you know, in front of the computer, or in front of the TV. It's like, I'm going up on the roof. And this can happen even in normal marriages. You you know, you don't have to have a very destructive situation for this to happen. Often what happens is simply, you know, the wife is hurting because she doesn't feel loved by her husband. And so, because she's a woman and not a man, and therefore she doesn't compartmentalize everything like guys tend to do emotionally, she's like, look, we've got to sort this out. We can't just live together. We have to be at one and at peace. And so she starts coming at the husband. You know, well, you need to talk to me. What's going on? And, you know, why are you feeling? And all these things, right? And then the husband feels attacked. He's like, I'm going on the roof. And then she's like, he abandoned me. He doesn't love me. He doesn't care about this relationship. Because if he did, he would talk this out with me. And so she comes at him harder. And so then he goes to chapter 21, verse 19. Better to live in a desert than a, with a quarrelsome and ill-tempered wife. And so this can just happen so easily. And when that happens over and over in a marriage over the years, it can lead to husbands becoming just deaf to their wives and it leads to wives who become cynical and sarcastic and, as it says here, ill-tempered and quarrelsome. Uh, I recommended this book last sun- uh, two Sundays ago, Love and Respect, a great little book uh, for you to read. It's, it's an easy read. It's by a guy named Emerson Egrickson. His basic thesis is, that above all else, women desire for their husbands to love them. And above all else, husbands desire for their wives to respect them. And he comes up with this thing that people who have read the book, you know, this is sort of what it's famous for, this thing that he describes as the crazy cycle. The crazy cycle goes around and around. And here's how the crazy cycle works. Without love, she reacts without respect. And without respect, he reacts without love without you know, love. She reacts without respect. He reacts without love. And, and around and And when that pattern cycles again and again, year after year, it can create, you know, we fall into these roles. We fall into these sort of stereotypical roles <clears throat> that are destructive. And so uh, there's this command, better to live on the corner of a roof, or this idea than to share a house with a quarrelsome wife. There's another image in uh, chapter 27. Look at Proverbs chapter 27, which again addresses this character of the quarrelsome wife. Chapter 27, verse 15. It says, A quarrelsome wife is like a constant dripping on a rainy day. Oh man, men hate leaky roofs. It drives them bananas. (laughs) You know? And it's like, I've been outside in the rain all day. 
And I'm finally coming in out of the rain and I go in the house and the roof is leaking. Like I can't get out of the rain anywhere. And so it is, men go out into the cold, out into this world that is hostile, that is dog-eat-dog, where there is not compassion, where they have to you know, perform on their jobs or get chopped, their legs chopped out from under them. It's a very difficult world. And they, then they come home and, and then they get the constant barrage. You know, of like, why are you late? Why aren't you here? And then they're like, ah, my roof's leaking at home too. The storm was outside and it's inside as well. Let me tell you something about men. I know men are sort of a mystery to women and vice versa. So I told you a little bit about women guys two Sundays ago. Let me tell you a little bit about men. One of the things men fear above all else, you know what a male fear is? Failure. Men fear failure. But you know, we're just worried, like, what if I can't pull this off? What if I can't do it? And so we live with, in a performance-oriented society and we don't want to fail people. We don't want to fail in our jobs and our tasks. And we have this fear, what if I fail? But ah, there's a comforting thought. I know that even if I totally blow it and I fail and, and I, I, I can't make the job work, I can't make the business work or whatever, there's at least one person who will still believe in me. My wife. She will still come to me as I lay on the ash heap and she will breathe new life and say, I still believe you can do it. Oh, my wife will believe in me. And then you come home and your wife talks to you like you're a four-year-old. And you're like, even my wife thinks I'm incompetent. Even my wife thinks I'm inadequate. I must be a disaster. And it just withers the soul of a man. I thought this was a great verse. Look at chapter 12, verse 4. sort of summarizes the feeling that men feel when they feel they're disrespected or dishonored or not believed in. It says, chapter 12, verse 4, A wife of noble character is her husband's crown, but a disgraceful wife is like decay in his bones. It's like cancer. It just, it's rotting you from the inside. And men feel withered and weak as a result of that. So I'll just encourage you ladies uh, in your marriages just to examine yourself. Do you find that you sometimes or even often take on the, the role of that quarrelsome, ill-tempered, negative, criticizing, satirical, eye-rolling you know, kind of approach to your husband? And how does that work? What does it tend to do for him? <laughs> Up on the roof. That's where he goes. Uh, let me ask you this. If let's, some of you have sons, what if your son married a young woman someday and that young woman related to your son and talked to your son the way you talk to your husband? How would that be? How, how would you feel about that? Oh, there's this call for respect and love and, uh, and husbands need to love their wives and delight in them, but wives to respect and honor your husbands. It, it, it's just what a man needs. It's part of how God has wired them up. But there's something going on here that I think is even deeper. In other words, I think that there's more here than simply advice for marital harmony. That there's something else that kind of underlies this theologically. So I'd like to take us from just husbands and wives relating down a theological notch to more of the bedrock theology underneath it. That it's not just about marital enrichment. It's not only what this is talking about here. But underneath it is an assumption about how marriage works. That God has built a certain structure into marriage. That marriage isn't just something we kind of make up for ourselves, but God has designed marriage a certain way. And specifically, it's this, that God has created men and women as equals. 
Please understand that. Men and women are equal. Equal in dignity, equal in value, equal in the image of God. Men are not better than women. Women are not better than men. God loves them equally. God created us all in His image. But in marriage and in the church, His family, God has called upon husbands to a leadership role, a headship role, a role of authority over their wives and over their husbands. That that's the design of marriage. It doesn't mean women are inferior or men are superior. It's just roles that God has called each of us to, especially in marriage. <clears throat> and I know that sounds like, you know, for some of us, like nails on a chalkboard. We're like, ah, oh, because our culture tells us that, you know, it's all about you. It's all about what you want and your beliefs and make reality how you want it. But people, we're not trying to be chauvinists here. We're not trying to be feminists here. We're just trying to be biblical. And what we find in Scripture is that God created men and women equal, but He's called husbands to a particular role of leadership and headship in the marriage. For instance, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Uh, go to the New Testament. We looked at this passage, Ephesians 5. It's on page 1159. We looked at Ephesians 5 uh, two weeks ago. We talked about husbands loving their wives. And I like Ephesians 5 because it kind of ties the whole thing together. Husbands, wives, God, how that all fits in. Ephesians chapter 5. I'm going to look at verses 22 to 24. It's on page uh, 1159. And it says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And, you know, we read a verse like that and often our hackles go up. We're like, oh, this is such a return to the dark ages. It's verses like this that give men a religious rationalization for abuse and degradation of women. It's passes like, passages like this that men not only have used but do use today to put women down and keep them in their, you know, in their place, so to speak, as they would say. Uh, it's like these this terrible verses that way. And I guess I would say there's some truth to that, that these verses have been used and warped and twisted to degrade and emotionally and even physically oppress and abuse women. In fact, I'm going to show you how you do it. And this may sound weird. I'm going to teach you how to use these verses to, to subjugate a, a woman. Here's how you do it. Take two fingers. You need two fingers for this. Okay? Put one finger over verse 21. Now take your other finger and put it over verse 25. That's how you do it. You amputate verses 22 to 24 from their contexts. You, if you excise them from their literary sense. And you take them on their own. That's what the cults do. You, you know, how do the cults work? They take a Bible verse out of its context. Then you can make it say whatever you want it to mean. You can twist the Bible and say anything you want it to mean if you take it out of context. But let's look at it in context. Let's lift our finger off of verse 21. What does verse 21 say? Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so all Christians are called to submit to one another. I'm called to submit to you. Even though I'm a pastor and in a sense a leader of this congregation, I'm called to submit to you. Because all of us are called to submit to each other. So yes, is there an authority and structure in marriage? Yes, but... It is within an overall context and framework and atmosphere of all of us washing each other's feet the way Christ washed the feet of His disciples. 
It, it has to happen in that context. Otherwise, it's not going to function properly. And now, lift your finger off of verse 25. What does it say there? Husbands, love your wives. How? Just as Christ loved the church, which was what? He gave Himself up for her to make her holy. Now, somebody needs to explain to me. Someone needs to argue logically for me how abuse, neglect, and, and the degradation of women is an expression of Christ's love for the church. I don't get that. And so no, this verse is not about the oppression of women. It's about the beauty of those two wings of the airplane working together. A husband who is saying to his wife, who's turning off the TV and turning off the computer and coming out of the garage and coming down off the roof and saying, I am going to listen. I'm going to engage. I'm going to love you. you know, And listen and be a part of who you are and understand you. And it's a wife who responds by saying, I want to honor and respect you and I don't want to be that quarrelsome, contentious uh, shrew from the works of Shakespeare. I want to be a godly woman from Ephesians chapter 5. And that's how it works. And so it's summarized. This is God's plan for marriage. And so we apply that to our lives in verse 33. Here's the application. Each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect your husbands. Now, should husbands respect their wives? Of course. Are wives supposed to love their husbands? Of course. Yeah, I mean, right. But the point is that if there is an authority structure that God has built in, the temptation for the one who has been given a certain authority is always to abuse that authority. And so the command has to be in his face, love, 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 love. And when you're under someone's authority, the tem human temptation is to buck authority. And so the command has to be respect, respect, respect. You see, that's why those commands are that way. Because this is what each of us need to hear. And in fact, ladies, I think this is like a little secret key to understanding men. Remember how we talked about that two weeks ago? I was like, guys, here's a key to understanding women. And you were like, we don't understand women. And the women are like, we don't understand men. Well, this is a key to understanding men. And the key is this, that one of the things men crave above all else is respect. They want to be respected and admired and appreciated. Okay? And you're like, well, women need respect too. Well, of course they do. But for women, it's like a little part of being loved. For men, you've got to understand, it's the whole enchilada. You know, I know Aretha Franklin sang R-E-S-P-C-T, right? <laughs> Did you know that was written by a man? Otis Redding, 1965, before, two years before Aretha Franklin ever sang that, it was written by a man to his wife. Interesting. This is a male need. Men, okay, just kind of let you into the, we're not supposed to tell women this, but we'll, I'll sort of let you in on this today. Uh, you know, men have like a, it's like a male honor code. This is how we relate to each other. We learned this when we were four and five and six on the playground. That what men want is they want to respect. They, they want to accomplish things. They want to overcome obstacles and then be respected for that. And when men go to work, they don't want to love their boss. They don't want their boss to love them. They don't want to share feelings with their co-workers. You know? This is why men just don't get sensitivity training. They're like, I didn't come to work to care about your feelings. Like, I came to work to do something. And I want to do it, and then I want people to go, wow, great job. You know? 
In the military, it's all military. I know there's men and women in the military, but it's very much a male culture. It's a male ethos. It's you salute the person over you, and they salute you back, and they give you an order, and you do it, and then they go, good, and they put a medal on your chest, and you go, hmm. Look at my medals. Like, wow, you are something. You know? This is how men think. So, so, when as a wife, you know, you're coming at him in, in a way that sounds like you don't respect and honor him, at least that's what he's hearing. I know that's maybe not what you intend. You just want him to talk to you. You know, but, but the way it comes across is like, rah, 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 rah. that's what he's hearing. And, and so he's like, what is he supposed to do? If another man came at him like that again and again, disrespecting him like that, what would happen? Pow! They would sort it out very quickly. That's what they would, they would go, it would come to blows. Men don't talk to each other like that. But he can't hit you! Because male honor code, page 24, says that a man with even a grain of decency would never strike a woman. That's male honor code. I know, maybe that sounds like old-fashioned. Wait. That's just basic male decency. We don't hit women, all right? At least we shouldn't. And men who do, we're like, dude, what is wrong with you? That's how it is. So I can't hit her. I can't out-talk her. (laughs) And she's way better with words than I am. On the roof. (laughs) What am I going to do? I'm out. Because I know, and this may sound weird to you ladies, this may sound like kind of backwards, but to a man, when there's a conflict like that taking place, and, and they can't resolve and they don't know what to do, to them, it is honorable and respectful to walk away from it. They're like, I am, I'm doing something honorable, I'm going to walk away to, to not let this conflict continue. You, what you feel is, he doesn't care to work out the relationship, but what he's doing is like, I'm doing something honorable and respectful right now. I'm going to do the right thing, I'm going to walk away and take a hit. And you're like, come back. And he's like, no, you know, I'm an honorable man. So it's just the crazy cycle. Dun, 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 dun. And around and around it spins. <clears throat> so I want to float a concept by you uh, that, that's articulated again well in this book. And here's the concept, ladies, for your husbands. Unconditional respect. Ah, he's got to earn my respect. Well, do you have to earn his love? Oh, of course not. His love should be unconditional. Hmm? It's both ways. Men need unconditional respect. And I know that's hard. I, I mean, let's be honest. There are some women who are married to guys who are just, they're doofuses. You know? They don't get it. They're just bad husbands. There are bad husbands. And, and so, what do you do with that? How do you respect someone who, you just can't figure out how to respect them. And I just want to say, it, you've got to find something. It may take you to an electron microscope to scan down on him to find some little atomic particle of respectability. But I say, find it and respect it and see what happens. See where it goes. You know, find that one thing that you can say as an encouragement to him. Think about different ways that, that women can respect their husbands. You know, one way is the, uh, just the tone that you say things. Have you ever heard your husband say, look, it's not what you're saying, it's how you're saying it. You know, what that means is I can't really process the content of what you're saying because the tone strikes me as so disrespectful and shrill that I just, I'm shutting down. You know? It's not what you say, it's how you're saying it. Um, we, can, we can respect our husbands just by thanking them for the things that they do. You know, how many hours did your husband spend working this last year? How many hours did he spend commuting? 
How many headaches did he put up with on his job? Did you once in the last year ever just say, hey, by the way, I just want to tell you, I really appreciate and admire how hard you work and the stuff you put up with all week. Thank you for doing that for our family. I'll tell you, just one little <laughs> morsel of respect like that, and the guy's like, rrr, rrr. I can go back out there and do this again. I had, a, I had a lady tell me after the first service, she'd been married, she's married 53 years. She said on her 50th anniversary, she made a card for her husband, and it had 50 hearts on a ribbon. And on every heart, she wrote something that she respected about him. That was like, and, and then the husband came up, and he, you know, he heard us talking about this, and he now has tears coming in his eyes. He said, when I die, I want that card buried with me. And I was like, <laughs> can I tell them in the next service about this? <laughs> That's so beautiful. That's it. You know? Ah, oh, she believes in me. She respects me, even of my failures. And, 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 you know, you're like, oh, you're a big guy. Come on, stop being so sensitive. Men are people, too. They don't show their sensitivity in the same ways. They don't talk about it, perhaps, in the same ways. They're just as fragile. They need just as much encouragement, and it's that respect thing. Uh, you can respect your husband by, you know, when he's trying to do something or solve a problem or fix something, just let him do it. And let him do it his way. Don't sit there and nitpick the way he did it. Just do it and go, oh, it's beautiful. You know, so like with your five-year-old when they hand you a drawing, oh, it's beautiful, right? <laughs> just let him do it his way. Because that's, again, the male thing. I want to do something. I want to accomplish something. Then I want to hold it up and I want people to go, wow, I admire you. And that's just how men are kind of wired up. So let him do it. You know, there's, there's some real truth to this whole men don't ask for directions, right? That's not just stereotype. It's really true. Why is that? It's because when men are lost, it's a challenge. Ah, adventure. Problem to solve. Like, I can do this. I can figure this out. What they want to happen is they want to do it and then solve it and then have you go, wow, right? So next time your husband's lost and you just want to strangle him, I want you to try something different. Instead of the, you're so pig-headed, you won't stop and talk to anyone, you have such an ego, why can't you just say, instead of that, try this. You know what I love about you? You keep my life exciting. You know? <laughs> I admire your sense of adventure and your risk-taking. You're like my little Indiana Jones. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, and here's one more, ladies. Okay, if you don't hear anything else this whole day, it, let me, this is like... Huge, huge. Never, ever criticize, ridicule, or mock your husband to others in public or to anyone else. You know? You think it's funny. And oh, come on, you're a big guy. Have a sense. You had a great sense of humor about everything else. Why can't you laugh about this? But when you stand there and say, oh, my husband, he can't fix anything. He can't do this. He can't do that. Ha, ha, ha. And there's other people standing around, especially other men. But that's not just going to send the man to the roof or the desert. He's going next continent. He's like, I just want to leave. You know, you've told other men that I'm weak. You know, that would oh, drive a man crazy. My wife and I have a pact. Jennifer and I have talked about this. And we, we thought this anyway, but then we talked about it. We never, ever, ever talk bad about each other to anybody else. If we've got a problem with each other, you know, if it ever gets to that and we need to talk, we're going to go to a therapist is what we decided. 
but I'm never going to talk to anyone else. Not my kids, not my family, not my parents. I want to always speak well of her to others. And, and, you know, and, and I hope that I can live up to that, but that's our goal, is to always speak well of each other, not to go trashing each other to other people. That's just so common that people dis, diss their spouses. And you know, people do that to us, and we're kind of like, well, you shouldn't be doing that. You know, honor your spouse. And husbands really thrive on this. And so it is not simply about marital enrichment, even though, yes, uh, not being quarrelsome is going to help you interpersonally. There is God's design at stake. And by wise respecting your husbands, you are honoring the structure that God has put in place in marriage. Whether we want to acknowledge it or not, it is there, and it is how we are wired up. <clears throat> but in closing, I'm going to close here, but I just want to take you even deeper. I'd like to take you to the theological sub-basement that undergirds the theological foundation that undergirds this marriage relationship. And underneath it all, what's at stake is the gospel itself. That God, in creating marriage, embedded, uh, wove in, programmed in the gospel into the marriage relationship. Which is why, my guess is, why there's the authority structure. It's not because men are better than women. It's that God wanted to make a drama. He wanted to make the husband's and wife relationship a living picture, a living parable, an enactment of his relationship to his people through the gospel. So again, look at Ephesians chapter 5. Look at verse 23. The husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, His body of which He is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. And then the other side, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. So the two are related. That the husband's relationship to his wife is a living picture of Christ and His church. So that when, ideally... When you see a healthy marriage that's flying with both wings out, you're going to see a husband delighting in his wife and you will see a little tiny picture of the kind of self-sacrificial love that Jesus has for us. You'll see the gospel in the husband's just, I'm going to shut everything else out and focus on you, love for his wife. And the wife then has a calling in this drama to take on the role of the church and to demonstrate for people what it looks like when we respond in faith and trust and honor to Christ. That when you become a Christian, you have to put your faith in Christ. You have to trust Him. You have to let go and surrender to Him. And so the wife's response to the husband is a picture of what saving faith looks like to the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And the two are meant to work that way. Do you see that? And so ladies, if this whole sermon is like totally stuck in your throat sideways, and you're just like, oh, I can't believe I sat through a half hour of this. You know, I could have went and got a root canal or something, but instead I had this male telling me to submit to my husband. Look, ladies, if you can't do it for any other reason, consider it for the sake of the gospel. The gospel is at stake. There are people around us on the South Shore of Boston who are lost and who need Jesus. We know it, but we have a chance to testify to the gospel with our marriages before we ever open our mouths. You have a girlfriend. You love her. You've been friends for 10 years. She's not a believer. You have been pleading with her and trying everything you can to tell her the good news about Jesus for years now. 
and she's going through a difficult time and you're trying to be there for her and you're pleading with her. You know, you need to lay it down at the foot of the cross. You're saying things like that. You need to give this over to Jesus. You need to surrender your heart to Christ. This is the way out of the problem, right? And then the conversation turns and it comes to husbands and now you're trashing your husband to her and complaining and griping about husbands. Do you see the disconnect? Like, you need to surrender to Christ. You need to, we need to surrender our wills over here. But over here, it's, you know, I am woman, hear me roar. And, and you're sitting around having this kind of feminist pep rally. You're trashing men. Like, do you see the disconnect? Some of you sisters, I know I've talked to you. I love you. I've heard you. We've prayed together. We've brainstormed together. We've wept together. Some of you are married to men who aren't believers. And it just is the daily prayer of your heart that they would come to know the Lord. You know, and you, you pray about that and you seek that. And I want to tell you, you have an amazing weapon at your disposal. It is the weapon of respect and honor. Look with me uh, quickly. First Peter chapter 3. Just a few pages over, page 1202. First Peter chapter 3. Where Peter directly addresses the issue of wives who are married to unbelieving men. It says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, page 1202, Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the Word, if your husband does not believe the Word of the Gospel, they may be won over without words, without you having to say anything to them, by the behavior of their wives, when they see the purity and reverence of your wives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornments such as braided hair and wearing of gold jewelry and fine clothing. Nothing wrong with wearing something nice, but the point is that's not where your beauty lies. Instead, verse 4, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to make themselves beautiful. They were submissive to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her master. You are her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Don't give way to fear. Don't be afraid. I know you're afraid. If I do this, am I going to become a doormat? Am I going to lose my individuality? Is he just going to take advantage of me? Don't fear. This is not a step of weakness. This is not a step of becoming a doormat. This is a step that only a courageous woman who knows who she is in Christ for the sake of the Gospel can take. This is a bold, courageous, confident step for the sake of the name of Jesus. And so, honor and respect your husbands. It's a powerful weapon. Ladies, if your husband isn't a Christian, all I just want to say to you is, lay off him. Stop trying to badger him and trick him into coming to church. He knows what you're doing. It's driving him crazy that you keep pushing and pushing that he'll come to the church. You know, stop trying to trick him into playing golf with Christian guys. You know, all those tricks that we do. Just stop it. And just pray for him, respect him, and show him that honor. You know, in fact, do this. If, if maybe you're married to a guy who's not a Christian and you wish you would become a believer, I give you permission as if you needed it. I give you permission to skip church once a month. Don't come to church. Stay home with your husband. And when he's there on Sunday morning, he's like, what are you doing here? What's the matter? You and God had a falling out? Or he'll say something, you know, rude like that. And I, and I just want you to say, Say, no, God and I are in great terms. In fact, God has been teaching me something recently. God has taught me just, to, just how awesome you are and what you do for us in the family. And I just really respect that. And so I thought, you know, I'm just going to hang out with you today instead of going to church. As part of my way of showing how much I love God, I want to stay here and love you, you know. 
You want to really blow him away? Say this to him. Say, this is what I thought. I thought this morning we could, we could start, we could make love. Then you can cook me, bre- I'll cook you breakfast. And then we'll watch football. <laughs> now be careful. That has scientifically been shown 28% of the time to cause a male to spontaneously combust. Okay? <laughs> so, what if you said that? Like, you know, I, I just want to find ways to say how much I respect and appreciate you. And it's coming out of this growing faith in God that I'm getting over at that church. Wow. Who knows what could happen? Oh, and ladies, moms, what about the salvation of your children? Oh, what about your children? You want them to obey the Lord so much. You want them to respect the Lord. You want them to surrender to the Lord. How are you talking to dad? What do they see in the way you talk to dad? Do they understand the meaning of surrender, trust, respect? by the way you talk to dad. What about that? And so, everything is at stake here. This is not a sermon really about marital enrichment. Like Paul says, I am talking about Christ and the church. I'm talking about the Gospel on the South Shore of Boston. Oh, we pray, Lord, send a revival to the South Shore of Boston. I wish a revival come. I pray for revival regularly. You know, I plead with the Lord for revival. But you know what? There has never been a revival in the history of all of the church that did not have at its center a return to the authority of God's Word and authority to biblical teaching, however unpopular or culturally offensive it may be. Every revival in church history has been a return of God's people to the Lordship of Christ exercised through His Word. Right? The center of every revival is always preaching. A revival of people hearing the Word of God and hungering and thirsting to the Word of God. And so if you're praying for revival but you don't want to live according to God's Word, you know, stop praying and start obeying. That's where it starts. It's a revival that begins in our hearts. And so, for the sake of the Gospel, for the sake of the salvation of hundreds of thousands of souls around this building this morning, for the sake of the glory of Jesus, husbands, Love your wives as Christ loved the church. And wives, respect and honor your husbands. Let's pray.